Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's podcast of In Depth with Beth and Seth, the number one podcast at Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. My name is Seth Patterson, and I'm the Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater at Plymouth. And I am joined, as always, by my friend and colleague, Beth Hoffman Faith. And this week, we get to talk about your sermon, Beth, as you preached on January 24th, 2021, a sermon entitled, If Not Now, Then When? Question mark. I love sermon titles with question. How are you, Beth? Well, I'm always glad to be with you. And hello, everyone. My name is Beth Hoffman Faith, and I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth Congregational Church. And yes, uh, I had the privilege of preaching on Sunday, and I used the revised lectionary text from the Gospel of Mark in the first chapter, just six verses, 14 through 20. This Everybody is... loves a short bit of <laughs> Well, and sometimes it's these really short pericopes that, oh my gosh, have layers and layers of meaning. And I was really getting caught up, and this is only the 14th verse of the first chapter and already so much has happened before it's, you get into it I, I feel the need to just in case a pericope for those who maybe have never heard that word before uh is a greek word that means i, I don't know what it literally means but it means like segment it it's a way for biblical scholars and users of the bible to talk about a section a piece of it the more you know so. pericope <laughs> It's a great word to say, though, pericope. I do mm -hmm. like to I like to interject that occasionally. Yeah, so in this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, some of you may know there's there's no birth story in, in Mark, and we have talked about that before on this podcast. Right. Um, and interestingly, I preached from the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark in Advent on uh, my assigned Sunday, and we are introduced to John the Baptist in the first few verses. Your favorite. I do like John the Baptist. <laughs> I do, I do, for lots of reasons. And I know that might be a bit of an unpopular opinion. I believe our new lead minister has different feelings about, about John the Baptist that he alluded to in one of his first sermons. Indeed, I do. I am a fan of John. Well, it's a good thing you got to talk about him a little bit again a couple months later. I know. When, when only just a few verses have elapsed. So we meet John in the first verses of the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark as he comes on the scene preparing people for Jesus' arrival. And that's what the Advent sermon was about. And then we have about six verses, and a lot happens in that six verses. Jesus is baptized by John, which is a beautiful scene of, of God sort of declaring Jesus as, as God's beloved. And then Jesus immediately, in the Gospel of Mark, moves to the wilderness and spends 40 days in the wilderness, which we often reflect upon during Lent. But in the gospel, we're all of Mark, over the place. Oh my gosh. The gospel of Mark, Mark though, it only gets a couple of verses, which leads us up to verse 14, which is where we picked it up on Sunday. And we learn that John has been arrested and that's all we know. It just says now John was arrested and Jesus commences his ministry in Galilee and declares that the time has been fulfilled, that everyone must repent, which is exactly what John the Baptist was saying, and prepare for the kingdom of God. All right. So that's how that's how you led into it. Have you preached on this before? 
I'm sure you have at some point. Oh, I'm sure I have. And I will confess that I went back through my files to see if I had a former sermon uh, in writing. Uh, I, there was a time in my life I didn't always manuscript my sermons. So I, I did not have one in my file. So I was creating all things new <laughs> for Sunday. <laughs> well, that sort of fits the theme of, of this sermon. So mm-hmm. I, in going back and reading through this a bit, you have a a big paragraph, probably right in the middle of your sermon, that is full of what I think is really important things to lift up. So I'm just going to sort of name them, and then we'll see what we say about them. You say, perhaps we take our cue from Jesus, for it appears that the first step in ushering in the kingdom and proclaiming good news is to assemble companions so that the way is not journeyed alone. What an important thing and a complicated thing to name in January of 2021, as we are entering the end of a first year of a pandemic change of life. This idea of journeying alone takes on new meaning. Right. And that's a reflection on the fact that Jesus calls these four fisher folk and they drop everything and follow him. So, you know, he he makes this bold statement that the time has been fulfilled. And I reflected a little bit on what that could possibly mean. And that we are to repent and prepare and receive the good news and prepare for the kingdom of God. And the fact that he was able to just say to these fishermen, come and follow me. And they did, uh, is, is kind of an extraordinary reading of scripture without knowing the full context. I mean, I do wonder if they had a prior relationship, what that might have looked like. But if we are really going to usher in the kingdom of God, if this is really what our call is as Christians right now in this time, I don't think it's possible to do that alone, even in the midst of a pandemic. I believe this is a communal call. I think the pandemic has just reminded us of the importance of not trying to do things alone. And and to be clear, again, we are saying the kingdom and not the king dumb. And that's what you wrote. Do you want to speak to that briefly on the difference in your in this right. between a kingdom because and a kingdom? Most scriptural translations will say kingdom. Yeah. And that to me reflects sort of God's vision, but it's too masculine for me. And it seems also imperial in a yeah. way that I, I want it to be more communal, equal, justice oriented. And Kingdom is certainly not original to me, but it it is a word that I will use in place of kingdom and have for now some time because kin, we really embrace that understanding that we collectively as human beings are kin to one another. Then we are the ones charged with creating God's vision on earth and making kingdom. Yeah, I appreciate that and and you're right you're not the first person to say it but i i just want to name it in this conversation because mm-hmm. it does change and, and it's hard to always hear the difference when we just say it you then go on to talk about the, an uncertain future and how we approach that you say what would it take for us to completely abandon the life we know for one we cannot even yet imagine but yet find impossible to resist and then later you say god's call is always into an uncertain future. When, when I heard you preach it in front of the camera and then again on Sunday, the God's call is always into an uncertain future popped out at me both times because it's both scary and comforting somehow. And again, 
it's that ask to abandon certain things of our life in order to help build something new that we don't exactly know what it is. There's a calling in that and uncertainty can be scary. Indeed. I think calling in itself is scary. One of the my favorite quotes about call comes from Frederick Beekner, where he talks about calling is the place where the world's need and your deep longing meet. And oftentimes when we feel compelled to do something, you know, it begins with sort of this stirring inside of us, this feeling we can't let go of, this sense that we we need to, to do whatever it is we're we're being beckoned into. And some of us can really name that as a prompting from God, some kind of divine nudge to live into our faith. And yet there seems to be such resistance to that, which is one of the reasons why I've always been so attracted by the calling of these first disciples. Like the capacity to drop everything. Literally, scripture says they dropped their nets. They were fishing. They dropped their nets. They left their boats and they followed him. You know, I'm preparing to travel in a few days in this strange time of pandemic to take Ellie back to school. And how liberating it would be is if we could just drop everything, get in the car and go. But no, there's so much prep and (laughs) hacking and organizing and figure things out and arrangements to make that. I don't know that that sense that is liberating, especially when they had no idea what they were were getting into. Reverend no Hoffman idea. Faith, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend. Question, question <laughs> yes, yes. for you. That that's sort of outside of the sermon. Do you is a part of your belief structure that all people are called to something, whether they realize it or not? I mean, sometimes it's so literal that there's a Jesus who walks over and says, "Come with me," and you say. Okay. And we don't always, I mean, we could have been asked a thousand times that question. We don't always take it. But do you think that all people have have a calling? I absolutely do. And I think most of us spend our lives discerning what that is. And I don't think that a call is for forever. So I think a calling shifts and changes based on what's happening in the world, based on our own personal growth based on how God is in the midst of all things, but absolutely without a doubt that we are created with purpose and that purpose is our calling and it can look any number of beautiful ways, but it is something inherent to who we are as humans. Thank you for that aside. (laughs) You're welcome. It, it matches what I think where you go next and you say, if we do not change course and let go of the life we know for the one God promises, what are we waiting for? If not now, then when? And you put three question marks to make it to, <laughs> because it's a big question. <laughs> uh, we might be searching for it, but it doesn't always just present itself the way that this story does where somebody says, I have your calling for you. Come with me. Rather... It seems to me to be a constant analysis or question. And then the question is always, if not now, then when? Right. And always presented with the option of, is this the moment we want to act or not? And if not now, when? And why not? Yeah. And this is written the week of the inauguration. This sermon is a reflection on how, you know, I'm very honest in the sermon about saying like, many other people I know, I have felt like I was holding my breath the last few weeks. Like, would this peaceful transfer of power happen? And what does it 
it mean and feeling my body exhale on Wednesday as I watched the inauguration and that things were peaceful, not without a lot of protection. Uh, you know, I don't know how peaceful things really are when you have thousands of National Guard having to stand watch, but nothing impeded that the particular transition. process in yeah. that moment. And so I think a lot of people that I know just felt like the sun was a little brighter. We were feeling a little stronger. And still, the world is the world we had the day before the inauguration, too. The crises at hand, the inequity that is so apparent, the grave injustices that happen in every moment did not cease with that transfer of power. You mean it's not fixed? We don't have a Messiah and a Savior that fixed it all? Right. And I was very careful in the creating of the sermon that I, because I thought about that and I didn't want anyone to misinterpret my gratitude in this change of our government for thinking that, that these men and women who now hold offices and cabinet positions are our saving grace, because I don't think that's true. I think no, that they're people. This transition allows us to once again really look deeply at our own involvement and the systems in place and how we are feeling called to enact substantial change. I think you did a, what I found important about the sermon is, is that it wasn't about that. You mention it both at the beginning and the end, and we'll get to the end in a second, but that it was rooted back into the calling from God, that the, you took it out of the political and the national and the immediate and back into, and rooted it back into what we as people, we as people of faith, we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus, whoever, however we label ourselves, uh, what we are called to do, which is to act. And if not now, then when? Uh, at the end, you do use Amanda Gorman, who is our new national, I don't, I don't even know what words to use, the gravitas and presence that came from not only the words that she said, but how she said them was really impactful on, on a lot of people. And you And you quote part of it. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge a union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If we are only brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. The power of poetry has been reignited, it seems, for many people. Well, and the story in the poem itself, but also her story, just made her presence all the more breathtaking and inspirational. And um, I've heard several interviews with and about her and, you know, that she turned to poetry because she had an issue with saying certain letters. She really struggled with ours, I think, particularly, and wasn't comfortable speaking in front of people, but had all this inside her to express. And so she turned to poetry uh, in order to do that. And then to then work really hard to be able to publicly perform her spoken word. I, mean, it, I just know I, I thought she was extraordinary. And I thought she spoke, I thought she spoke to the present and the past and the future to the aspirations of the future. And, yeah. and in a way, I think that sometimes only poetry can. I would say 
poetry and art as a broader we can only imagine a hoped for future through an art form because mm-hmm. that's the only place where something that does not yet exist can be created and poetry right. is a foundational art form in that way absolutely and as we think about an uncertain future and and needing to have the courage to kind of move into it not knowing what the future holds to have these sort of words to lean into to strengthen our spirits for the journey ahead was really significant plus just watching her i mean i i would assume most people who are listening to this did see her perform this poem but if you haven't do because it was also in watching her that i felt some transformation she just she had the right style and grace and body language and it was really amazing to watch and she had the most gorgeous yellow coat on <laughs> and a ring of a caged oh, yes. bird yes. that Oprah, Oprah gave her, gave her. to yes. remind her of Maya Angelou. I mean, what a stepping into a, a, a lineage there. Mm-hmm. Well, Beth, we are out of time. Thank you for preaching a sermon worth talking about. <laughs> well, Seth, it's always a pleasure to spend this time with you and to dive a little deeper into the words that were spoken the Sunday prior. If you find this meaningful, useful, or an anyway thought-provoking please pass it along to your friends we don't know everybody amazingly you know more people so if you think this is a useful part of your week please introduce it to other people thank you to all that made this happen have a good week beth you too seth and blessings everyone <laughs>